0: Welcome to the Regional Roundup, a production of Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a coalition of public and community radio stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including this one. I'm Maeve Conran, the Coalition's Managing Editor, and today we'll hear how seasonal workers in a Colorado ski town are building community.
1: They're really open and welcoming, so then we just kept coming.
0: Then one body of water in Boulder County never freezes over even in winter. We'll hear why and what it means for waterfowl. The
2: Coors factory upstream lets a bunch of warm water and whatnot into the creek. And so it stays unfrozen all year long. And that's where all the water birds
0: congregate. Then, mountain biking has surged in popularity on the Navajo Nation.
3: Biking culture in the Navajo Nation, I never knew existed.
0: From Rocky Mountain Community Radio, it's the regional roundup. Resort towns around the region often have large groups of seasonal workers who come from all over the world and it can sometimes be hard for these workers to build community. In Snowmass near Aspen, Colorado, there's a new weekly community dinner for lifties and for others who spend the winter working on the mountains or in town. Organisers are calling the free weekly dinner The Kind Neighbour Project. And they say the idea is to build community, especially with young seasonal workers who might not feel a sense of belonging in the valley yet. Aspen Public Radio's Eleanor Bennett attended a recent dinner and has this story.
4: It's about 10 minutes to five and people are already arriving at the Snowmash Chapel for the weekly dinner. Longtime resident Deborah Madsen and her team of volunteers are busy making sure all the food is ready.
5: They're bringing stuff in, as you can see. So here we have homemade mac and cheese, Wow! Big House Grill. They donated two huge things of um, brisket, and then uh, they donated some buns. And so a lot of it's potluck from our community.
4: Mary behind us, she made the salad. When Madsen started the community dinners after the chapel offered up their space earlier this winter, about 25 people showed up, but last month that grew to about 150.
5: It was just so huge and so overwhelming that I pretty much was like begging people for help. (laughs) Please help
4: us! Madsen has lived in Snowmass Village for over four decades and her husband is the mayor. In recent years, she's grown concerned about young people, having run-ins with the police, experiencing drug overdoses and death by suicide. And she wanted to find a way to help.
5: You know, like we all have raised our kids in this valley and all of our kids struggle. And so we want all the kids, whether they're... They work for the ski company or they work anywhere. We want them to be able to come and have a hot meal. We want them to come
4: and meet other people. Madsen encourages local chefs and volunteers who contribute to the potluck to stay and get to know the people who show up for dinner. I want to give
5: them a sense of community. So if they are having trouble with anything, that we're that there's a support system here. That we really care about them and their contribution to our community. Whether it's you know being a lift operator or working at the grocery store or working in the restaurants.
4: Once most of the tables are full, Madsen gives a blessing and says people are welcome to use the game room after dinner. She also tells them about the new food pantry at Town Hall and says folks can call her and the other volunteers anytime.
5: If anyone needs anything at all, whether it's clothing, whether it's bedding, whether it's a ride, any kind of support at all, just know that we are here for you. We have huge mental health resources as well.
4: Amelia Lacour is sitting with her friends and co workers at one of the long communal tables. She's originally from Louisiana, and this is her second season working as a lift operator at Snowmass.
1: We were just on the mountain one day, and someone told us to go to the church. They told us they had free food, and we're a bunch, we're really broke. We don't have money. So we pulled up. They were really open and welcoming. So then we just kept coming.
4: Lacour says she and her roommate often stay late to play the piano and help clean up.
1: We have a lot of fun with it. We end up helping them clean the dishes afterwards. They've given us, like, Kleenex at the end of the night, you know, that we can take home, toilet paper. It's been amazing.
4: She says the community dinner is also a refreshing change of pace from the party culture in town.
1: I mean, well, we're in a ski town. (laughs) Uh, Everybody's drinking. Everybody's, you know, doing things. But, I mean, it's kind of nice to come to a place where you're not expected to drink or you're not expected to turn up. You just get to be with people and eat food.
4: There's no alcohol at the dinner, just iced tea and lemonade. And LaCour says she appreciates that decision.
1: You know, for all of us, like we're all in our 20s, um, drinking is a big challenge because it's like going to work, trying to get your life in order. Like, oh, you know,
4: what's the next step? At another long table nearby, Antonio Cortez and his friend Eduardo Fonseca are just sitting down to eat. Cortez works at the Sundeck restaurant on Aspen Mountain, and he says he recently found out about the dinners through his employer.
2: It's like, okay, let's do that. Let's try it. The food is really good. It's really, really good.
4: Cortez and Fonseca are both from Mexico and got special visas to come work in Aspen for the winter and learn how to ski. Fonseca says he's enjoyed working at the Little Nell Hotel and spending time on the slopes, but there's also some culture shock.
1: First, uh, the language, different food, different um, ways to work. Sometimes when you come, you start alone. So it's very challenging.
4: And he says the community dinner makes him feel welcome.
1: Everybody is busy working. And this kind of dinner or how can I say, sharing moments, it's important to meet other people. And community.
4: Back in the kitchen, Deborah Madsen is taking stock of the evening so far.
5: So we had about three different waves of kids come, and it's still only six o'clock, so we have another hour. And we probably have had 100 to 110 people, and about 20, at least 20 volunteers. So we're doing it.
4: Madsen hopes to continue the free weekly dinners through at least the winter and spring, and possibly the summer too, but she doesn't have any funding and relies entirely on volunteers and food donations.
5: I would love to see different restaurants, different caterers, you know, places that have extra food in their freezers or whatever, just to say, you know, how can I help? And I'd love for people to to help.
4: As the dinner nears its end, Amelia LaCour pops her head in the kitchen and asks if there's a guitar she can play. The chapel's music director brings out two guitars and several other instruments, and LaCour and her friends sit around in a circle.
1: Should we do something in the orange by Zach Bryan? All right, come on.
4: By the second song, more people have joined in, and pretty soon, a room full of people, some who know each other and some who just met, are singing along and swaying to the music. Public radio news. That story was produced
0: with help from the Public Media Journalists Association Editor Corps. It's supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. It's February and it's cold. Around the Rocky Mountain West, many waterways are frozen over. But next we'll join Boulder Naturalist Steve Jones and the Boulder Audubon's Teen Naturalists at a creek that doesn't freeze over, even in the winter. Here's Nature Almanac, an audio postcard from KGNU's Shelley Schlender. So
6: let's name ourselves so everyone knows who you are. I'm Steve. John.
2: Adele. Annalise. Mia. Lucian.
6: Let me tell you how we're going to do this. We're going to walk a half mile downstream, you know, that path that follows right along the creek, and we put the photographers in front. So you get first chance to photograph the ducks.
2: What Are those teal right there? Small little guys right there.
6: They're so cute. Green teal are a third the size of mallards.
2: That was my camera clicking as I was taking photos. It was like the noise of my camera taking photos. You can do different noises. You can have it silent. You can have it make like clicking noises. There's a northern shoveler. They dig in the mud with their huge bills. Imagine like a canoe paddle but for a beak. It's wide at the end, bigger than their head. We are at Prospect Park in Wheat Ridge, which is near Arvada, hiking along a creek. It's called Clear Creek. We're hiking along Clear Creek. The reason we're doing this right now is because the Coors Factory upstream lets a bunch of warm water and whatnot into the creek, and so it stays unfrozen all year long, and that's where all the water birds congregate. Oh, yeah, waterfowl. love waterfowl.
3: So, this is just an amazing a little hidden gem.
6: This is John Weller. John is a superb photographer, but he's also an equally superb conservationist. It's an incredible community
3: of ducks down here. They're, they're hooded mergansers I've seen dancing. I actually found a flock of 70 hooded dancing a little earlier in the season. There was a flock of 30 wood ducks. Some of the photographs I've taken this fall are some of my favorites ever. Owls, foxes, bobcats. It actually connects up to the mountains behind, and so you get a lot of vertical migrations of animals down this creek.
2: There's probably like 20-ish mallards circling around. Oh, I love those emerald emerald heads. And they just flew off. It's so funny when they fly. When they fly their necks stretch out, wings are out and they look all weirdly proportioned. It's just a shape that you don't normally see from a duck when it's sitting down. If I were a duck I wouldn't be quacking the whole time, but they quack a little before they land. We'll post
6: some photos on the KGNU website. These students come down here and get magazine quality photos every time we come. I don't have to do much of anything except just watch them, turn them loose, and they're fabulous. So Prospect Park is along Clear Creek in Arvada. To get there, you want to go to the intersection of Indiana Street and East 44th Avenue, and it's about 1.7 miles west of there. It's easy to find on the Internet. It's a beautiful park. Uh, It's surprising. It's in a very urban area, and it's very peaceful here and there's so many wonderful water birds.
0: Quack quack. <laughs> quack. <laughs> Steve Jones, John Weller, and these teens are friends and boulder naturalists. For KGNU, I'm Shelley Schlender. You're listening to The Regional Roundup from Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a coalition of non-profit radio stations throughout the Rocky Mountain region, including this one. I'm Maeve Conran. In the Dirt is a new documentary that chronicles how mountain biking has exploded in popularity on the Navajo Nation.
3: Biking culture in the Navajo Nation I never knew existed. We're in Gallup, New Mexico, border town to the Navajo Nation's 27,000 square miles. I look around here, We live in beauty. I'm not used to having
2: running water. We basically haul our water in. A lot of them come from single parent homes.
6: There was a fire that started. When I got on the mountain bike, it took me away from distraction. It's nothing until you put your hands on it and it comes to life. There's not one bike shop.
0: The film was directed by T.C. Johnstone.
3: I did a film in 2012 that released in 2012 called Rising From Ashes, which was the story of a group of cyclists that came out of the genocide in Rwanda that wanted to go to the Olympics in cycling. And I met a guy named Scott Knightum, who had just retired from professional cycling, and 10 years later found out that he had moved to the Navajo Nation and had met a bunch of passionate cyclists who basically had started developing trails and created this amazing story that unfolded about how the bike brings people moving forward and thinking differently about the world that they live in and the world we all live in. I'd, I'd say this, I, 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 I mean, met all these guys um, who, were, who were thriving, who are riding radically awesome and and it kind of quickly realized like whoa the bike isn't this isn't an import we're not trying to bring the bicycle to the reservation it, it exists it's here
0: I think one of the most unique parts of this story is how this whole community of cyclists emerged in the Navajo Nation when there was such a lack of infrastructure there wasn't even a bike shop in the entire Navajo Nation, which is absolutely massive. So against those odds, to have this community emerge is pretty startling.
3: Yeah, there's on the Navajo Nation, there's it's 28,000 square miles of land. And to not have a bike shop there for most people seems like it it just doesn't make sense. But I think it's a testimony to the resilience of the cast and their passion for their land, for the environment, for um, their people and their culture. And I think that's what I was fascinated with. And to earn to earn the right to be able to tell the story was a true gift because they really allowed me in. But I think I I think I learned more than anyone else on this project. What did you learn? Yeah, I mean, I think I had my own picture of what American history was. And at the same time, I didn't realize that the Navajo Nations in our backyard. And a lot of people have traveled through it and But to get off the beaten path and to see where people live in their life, in their culture and their values and to be treated so kindly. And I think a a big piece of this to me was just to learn that they were willing to look past my skin color to allow me in and, and to help me understand what this world looked like. And we were having fun doing it. You know, we were I was seeing things that I had never seen and learning about culture and yeah, treated like family. And that that's rare.
0: I think what you are saying there really touches on the fact that so many of the stories that emerge, whether it's in news coverage or what is emerging in popular culture, in books, in film from tribal communities, but particularly the Navajo Nation paints a very specific picture that is lacking usually in historical context. And it's also lacking in the nuance of what's happening there. And when it comes to news coverage, it's usually the negative. We hear the lack of infrastructure. We hear the poverty. We hear all of that. And what you're bringing in this film is showing a completely different side of that. It's the resilience, but also the joy in community and the joy in this activity that's united so many people. Talk a little bit about what you hope maybe the film might do in counteracting some of those preconceived notions that so many people have.
3: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I'm a big believer in the truth and that how we frame the truth is it, is how we is it entertainment or is it education? And I, I think it's both, but it also can be very inspiring if we see the world through a certain lens of light and hope and those things. And I all my films have always done that. But I, I've always, the bedrock of that is truth. And so I, I think what I started to see was not what it is or the challenges that we all face, but what could be and seeing people chase that and do that on a bike. That was this beautiful, masterful way of seeing beauty. You know, it wasn't just, it's not the biggest and the, in the greatest. I mean, these riders are spectacular. I mean, they're very, very talented. But the way that their grace and elegance on the bike was just so transparent in the flow of how they live and honor culture and the land. And, you know, it was, it was very impactful for me personally. I mean, it, it took five years to make this movie. So it took some resilience on their end and ours just to figure out how to do it within the challenges of the last, you know, three or four years. And at the same time, just the logistical challenges of this movie were off the charts. I mean, I think this was one that I could tell you this was one of the hardest movies I've ever made. What were some of those logistical challenges? Yeah, I mean, a film like this, you have to drive everywhere. And secondly, is that you have the the places that we would shot very rarely will anybody who's non-native be invited there unless they have a relationship. So I felt like being invited into those contexts and to be able to be on their land and But to get there, I mean, we had to buy trucks and trailers and, I mean, things that the infrastructure of just the filming, just to get there was incredible. I mean, we had to have campers for some places and generators and solar, things that on most films, we pull up someplace in a hotel and we can set up, you know, a film, but this was much different. And, you know, having to pay attention to night and day and where the sun was and weather, I mean you get stuck in some of these places you're going to be there i I remember one time on the trip we were there and a snowstorm came or a rainstorm and they we just had to stay extra days just because you couldn't get out so it's you know that doesn't work with a production budget super easily so you you really pay attention and you know and then you have you have to pay attention to food just where are you going to eat in a place that you know is is uh very spread out my dream is to keep doing what I'm doing right now. This is my dream, riding bikes to make people happy, to be there for people, you know. To show people that they, there is a chance of doing stuff, you know. You know, some people tell me Lorenzo, oh you guys are lucky, you know. We're not lucky, you know. We just want it, you know. And then people say, oh it's just a dream, you know. Yeah, it's just a dream, but you gotta chase that dream down. And we me and Lorenzo, we've been pedaling at this dream for fifteen years now, you know. And it's finally happening.
0: Tell us about some of the people that you feature in the documentary, some of their stories.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, it, most of the time when we do a film, you know, that they start out as cast, but in a film like this, I would tell you that these are now very, my, my close friends. And, you know, we, we start with Scott who then introduced me to, uh, to Terrence and MT or a wonderful couple that live on the Arizona side of the Navajo nation. And they really were the grassroots kind of, they came from the heart. They had been around this for decades and had been really engaged in the bike from probably the inception of the mountain bike till now. So they've been carrying the torch uh, for a really long time. And But unbeknownst to them and to a lot of others is that there were these little pockets just like that all over the Navajo Nation. And Scott was this catalyzer to kind of get everyone together around a common vision And then all of a sudden different people started coming to the table and you'll see some of this in the film that it just, it kind of exploded. And it was, you know, the bike is this incredible tool to move your life forward because nobody else can do it for you. And when you see that on a kid's face and you see the story that will unfold in the film, it's pretty spectacular to see what can happen in the lives of someone when, we all decide that we want to take a step forward.
0: Now, you started filming this five years ago. That was before COVID. And many people listening will be aware of just how badly impacted the Navajo Nation was for that. What's been happening with the folks that you you connected with five years ago? How did COVID impact not just the logistics of being able to go film, but just what was happening with the bikers?
3: Yeah, you know... in a, in a place, when you look at the logistical, when you look at what's happening on the Navajo Nation, the challenges there is that healthcare and those type of services, if you call an ambulance, it might take two hours to get to your house. And if they live in very direct community with families and in small areas. And so uh, COVID was very challenging for them. And so we spent a lot of time on the phone. We talked, I mean, I think Terrence and I talked often. I mean, daily sometimes. So we just check in with each other because, you know, and it was as much as it was hard on them, I've never had a film location that had police blockades, So you couldn't even get in to do anything. And so when we all got vaccinated, we ended up doing a podcast, which you can find on Gratis 7 Films, podcasts on Spotify. But um, we went down and did a, a podcast show outside. We'd all been vaccinated. And we sat in this garage in the middle of winter with blankets and and talked and just checked in with each other. And it was just, it It was, I think it drew us together because I needed them as much as anybody else. I mean, they were friends and, you know, they, they were encouraging to me in a time when I needed it. These things have been going on for generations. We're not poor, we're rich. It's our culture, our language, our traditions.
2: Don't ever forget your culture and where you came
0: from. I'm part of something again, you know?
1: the dirt is where i
0: belong. well i know you're hosting all kinds of community screenings of this in communities all around the rocky mountain west and moab and cortez and boulder and all over the place what reaction have you been getting
3: yeah this film is you know the reaction to this film has been a little bit overwhelming i wasn't a i was expecting that there would be some folks that would want to show it in their communities, but we had no idea that it would take off like it did. It, this film's playing all over the country, actually. And it played in Portland last weekend. It's playing it's playing in a 120-person small village in Quebec, Canada in two nights. So people are realizing that this film is a tool to be able to share and have a dialogue about something larger than just the bike. It's this thing, it's about humanity and it's about how... Uh, What does it look like to, in some senses, get back up and to see the world through a new lens? And so it's been, I've I've been more excited about this film than I have in a long time of other films. It's just, it kind of came by surprise that people are taking it and running with it. They just, people have come to see it three times. I mean, they just, and they, because they see it once and they want to bring their friends. And so- we tell people, Hey, we'll show it as much as you want. And But what we really love is that everything that you've seen happen is all grassroots. We don't have any control. If people want to host a screening at their bike shop in their community at their church, it doesn't matter to us. They jump on the website, they can sign up and show the film in their community. And we, we did that very intentionally. Instead of doing a traditional distribution model, we've said, we want to go with people who care about the things we care about and I'm learning that people care about this story.
0: And what about the people featured in the film? What's been their reaction to the incredible response?
3: Yeah, I. we're still learning that. You know, we're probably six weeks out from when we launched this. And so, it, it you know, it spiked really quick. And so they're, you know, they're being flown to places and, you know, doing things that very lightly. But, you know, at the same time, a lot of the cast is they're working for what is the goal of this film through our nonprofit partner, which is a silver stallion. The goal of this film is to get more kids on bikes. And if adults want to get on bikes down there and that takes, that's a grassroots effort that all these people are responsible for social workers working in schools and the riders and the coaches and the mechanics. So every time that uh, I, I, there's a screening, we got to be careful. We don't, we uh, keep everybody moving forward on what's our main thing, but. They're having a great time. I love seeing them. That's that I, I we did a screening recently and I didn't even go on stage. I just love listening to them. I just they're 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 the they're the heroes of the story.
0: T C Johnstone is the director of In the Dirt. And you can find out more at in the There are several community screenings of the film happening around the region, including at the Sunflower Theatre in Cortez, that's on February 23rd, and in Moab, Utah on March 23rd. You've been listening to The Regional Roundup, a production of Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public and community radio stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah and New Mexico, including this one. Thanks to Eleanor Bennett of Aspen Public Radio and Shelley Schlender of KGNU for today's show. Our theme music is Take Me Somewhere by Joel Adam Russell. I'm Maeve Conran.